All right, this morning we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 22. I appreciate the, uh, the psalm that was read this morning. Last night, my mother-in-law died, and uh, the psalmist said, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And so, uh, keep my wife and her family in prayer, if you would. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a issue that's going to be the last lesson that we've been having on problem solving and, and kind of counseling things. Um, it seemed like I, I haven't been here for a long time. Um, two Sundays ago I was in the Milchick and I preached, preached down there with Brother Lambert and then last week uh, the snow and the power was off. But just to bring you up with the lesson, uh, hopefully somebody caught this last week or two weeks ago, but we talked about how God uses problems to humble us, uh, to make us dependent on Him. Uh, sometimes problems come into our life to chasten us and instruct us. Uh, problems, the Lord allows problems and difficulties in our life to develop character. And uh, He allows problems so we might be used of Him to comfort those who are going through problems. And today, I want to talk to you about low self-esteem. And we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 24. Let's see. I don't know if I want to read all that. Uh, Let's just be begin in verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the, in the law? And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If anything has muddied the waters and hindered God's people in dealing with their problems, is this uh, idea and this false teaching concerning the self-esteem. The vast majority of counselors today say the cause of man's problem is a problem of low self-esteem. Oprah Winfrey, who is the great counselor for America, says the lack of self-esteem is the root of all the problems in the world. So there you have it. Dr. James Dobson wrote a book on the family called Hide and Seek, and in it he says the matter of personal worth is not only the concern of those who lack it. In a real sense, the health of an entire society depends on the ease of which the individual members gain personal 
acceptance. Thus, one of the keys to self-esteem or seemingly out of reach for a large percentage of the people, as in the 21st century America, then, wi then widespread mental illness, neuroticism, hatred, alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, and social disorder will certainly occur. And so the problem with America, according to Dobson today, is they have low uh, self-esteem. I want to be clear <laughs> what my position is. I believe that the root problems we face today is the failure to develop a biblical self-image of who you are. I do not believe in order to be happy or well-adjusted and capable of loving others that you must love, accept, forgive, and feel good about yourself. If you do any reading at all in this area, you'll find that both in secular counseling and so-called Christian counseling, that self-esteem, self-acceptance, self-image are all key topics. But the fact is, if you assume the Rogerian counseling theory to be true, that is that you must love and accept yourself before you can love and accept others, that accepting yourself and forgiving yourself is a must for a happy, successful life, then you will respond to others in a way that will only compound their issues. If we're going to help people in their problems, we must go to the Bible, obtain a correct appraisal of who we are and what we can be in Christ. And so, why did we start here in Matthew 22, 34 through 40? Because uh, this is where this idea of loving yourself and self-esteem uh, has come from. You'll see there in uh, verse 39, he said, The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the key to this and this teaching of self-esteem is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that has been misrepresented. The idea of self-love and it's necessary to love yourself to be mentally balanced and be able to live in this world is a necessity. Self-love is the idea that a person has a positive attitude about himself. He feels good about who he is. And when he thinks about himself, he has a positive emotional response. And wrong reason of this verse is if a person does not love himself, he cannot love his neighbor, and he ultimately will not be able to love God. Robert Schuller, hope we don't get your theology from Robert Schuller, but Robert Schuller in his book, Self-Image, the New Reformation said this, the most serious sin is the one that causes me to say I am unworthy. I may have no claim to divine sonship if you examine me at my worst. For once a person believes he is unworthy sinner, it's doubtful if he can really honestly accept the saving grace of God offers in Jesus Christ. And so if he feels bad about himself, he feels like he's an unworthy sinner, 
then he's not going to reach out to the Lord because uh, of his thinking concerning himself. The thinking is, if he cannot love himself, he'll not be able to love God. Schuler went on to say, we must tell people everywhere that God wants them to feel good about themselves. The further he goes on and states, the core of sin, right down where sin is at, where, what this, where sin springs from, he says the core of sin is a negative self-image. But I seem to recall in Romans chapter 3, the Bible says, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. It says, there's none that understands, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And I wonder what, um, what the Apostle Paul would have thought about Schuller's theology. Paul Brownback Brown in a book called The Danger of Self-Love tells of a seminary professor teaching at a seminary uh, uh, actually suggested that Paul might have been better adjusted if he had the advantage of contemporary Christian insight into self-love. Yet one of the greatest men of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so this whole idea of self-love and self-esteem, uh, number one, it's, a, it's, it's wrong in its origin. The origin of this teaching is wrong. The first man to interpret Matthew 22, 39 teaches that man should love himself was not a humanist, or was not a theologian, but he was a humanist. His name was Eric Fromm. He didn't believe in God. I mean, uh, in the sense of being born again. He wasn't evangelical at all. He was a psychologist that was a humanist. And he, uh, he come up with this idea in his counseling. Until we can get a person to love himself, we're not going to help the, their self-image. We're not going to help the problems they're going through. And it's just going to be a spiral downward. Secondly, it's wrong in its, uh, not only in its origin, but it's wrong in its outcome. This teaching of loving yourself it's wrong in its, in its outcome. Uh, the promotion of self-love and self-esteem has failed to make individuals or society any better. Is our society any better? I think we're worse off now than we were, uh, particularly in the middle of the last century. And I'll give you some statistics. And, and we'll get to Bible here pretty quick. Uh, the teaching of self-esteem has failed. This is um, uh, Charles Krathammer. He said, the teaching of self-esteem has failed to promote higher achievement in the classroom. He wrote this article called Education, Doing Bad and Feeling Good. In a recent study, a standardized math test was given to teenagers 
from six different nations. Besides the math question, the test asked the youngsters to respond yes or no to the question, do you think you're good at mathematics? American students scored lowest on the math questions, far behind Korean students who had the top scores. Ironically, more than 75% of the Korean students answered no to the question, I think I'm good at mathematics. In stark contrast, however, 68% of the American students believed that their math skills were very fine. And so, ironically, uh, we fail math, but we feel good about ourselves. And if you look at the education system in the public school system now, you know, they don't even want to fail, fail people because it's going to give them a bad self-image of themselves. And they'll play sports games and they'll make sure that it ends in a tie or we don't keep score. And the whole point about that, we can't make someone feel bad about themselves. Morally, uh, the teaching of self-esteem has not changed our country. Remember, I read that James Dobson said, the matter of personal worth is not only the concern of those who lack it. In a real sense, the health of the entire society depends on the ease in which individual members gain personal acceptance. Thus, whenever the keys to self-esteem are seemingly out of reach for a large percentage of the people, as in the 20th century, the widespread mental mental illness, neuroticism, hatred, alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, and social disorder will certainly come. And so you would think that, uh, that this teaching on self-esteem would, would raise our society to a greater level. In 1940, there was a survey taken. 11% of the women and 20% of men agreed with the statement, I am an important person. And so when you ask them, do you feel like you're an important person? Only 11% of the women are an important person, and 20% of the men would say, yeah, I feel like I'm an important person. In 1990, which is, uh, what, 31 years ago, those figures jumped to 66% for women and 62% for men. In a Gallup poll taken in the 90s, <coughs> there was a, the, 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 there was a 90% of the people polled said their own sense of self-esteem was robust and healthy, uh, yet the crime rate continued to rise. And so this teaching of self-esteem, the outcome of that, the product of that is it's got worse. You know, our society has gotten worse. And so the origin is wrong, the outcome is wrong, but thirdly, biblically, It can't be supported. This idea of self-esteem cannot be supported by the Bible. Look here again uh, in Matthew 22, and I want to focus on just one little simple word here in verse 39. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The commands, the two commands that are emphasized here one is to love the Lord thy God, and the second one is to love your neighbor. But it, there's not a third command that says love yourself. It says love your neighbor as yourself. It's presumed it is, it, that we already love ourselves. That, 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 that's the problem, that, that we already have this self-love. 
There's no command to love yourself. If you go with me, just hold your plot spot here. <coughs> but this is a quote from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus <coughs> chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 says, Thou shalt not avenge, that is, get, get back on them, or bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And so he's saying here, you know, we're not to uh, think I got to get even or get back or, or somehow I got to get, take the advantage here. But he's saying, that forget this trying to get even and, and, to, and to get ahead or to get back. But he's saying, you should love your neighbor as you already love yourself. And so this idea of, this idea of I need to be able to accept myself and to love myself and uh, before I can love you, it doesn't hold water. It, it doesn't, it's not biblically sound. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And bearing a grudge, we put ourselves before and above our neighbor. And the Lord says, don't be doing that. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, if you go over to um, Ephesians chapter 5, you see, <laughs> you see the problem. The problem is not that I don't love myself. The problem is I love myself too much. That's the problem. In Ephesians chapter 5, it gives us a clear understanding of our nature in verse 28. It says, so ought men, he's talking about husband and wife's relationship and family relationships here. And he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And then note this word. No man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. And so he says you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church, but then he made a clear statement, nobody in this world goes around hating himself. That it's not normal. And, and uh, the sign really, <coughs> if you go over to 2 Timothy, some pretty strong words here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be turning more than usual this morning, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so it's talking about the tendency of society, the tendency of the thinking of man, as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. And if my thinking is right, we're closer to the coming of the Lord today than we were yesterday. Right? And so there's some traits. And, and here's what it says. When these perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of God, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so well, the very first thing it says concerning perilous times is that men are going to love themselves. 
that, that, that one of the things that we should recognize as Christians as we look at this world is that people have a robust self-esteem, that they love themselves. That's not a sign, a good thing, but it's a bad thing. And then they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. What pleases me? What pleasures me? What's important in this life is me being happy. And that's where we're at today. And you may be wondering, well, why, why here in, this, in a Baptist church as well, and Dr. are talking about this, because it creeps into our thinking. Uh, I, I should have talked to Susie about this. She homeschooled our kids. But I remember uh, when, <laughs> when my kids were, were really little and were there in homeschool, there was some curriculum we got where they sung some kind of song, licky lacka, licky lacka, something. And, uh, but it was all being positive about how you think about yourself. And, uh, and it, it develops a foundation that I'm okay. That uh, I don't need a savior, you know. I don't need any changes. I, I, I'm, I'm all right. Look over in um, Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 23. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so he calls upon us, if we're going to be a disciple, we need to deny ourselves. The most important thing is not a you see, when we get through with all this, I hope you come to see this, this basic and vital point. It's not about you. It's not about you. Never has, never has been about you. And he says we need to deny ourselves. And then when it says take up your cross and follow me, Take up your cross uh, and take up his cross daily and follow me. This idea about the cross has been distorted over time, also. And that this, you know, I uh, I have psoriasis and it's different forms come at different times. And so I'm just bearing my cross, you know. I, I'm just bearing my cross of psoriasis and I'm just mucking through it and I'm going on, but. You see, the cross, when Christ bore the cross to Calvary, it was the end <laughs> that the cross was about. That the bearing of the cross is not the burden we bear, but it's, the, to, it's for death. That I say no to myself and yes to the Lord. And, and so on a daily basis, I have to come to this point in this place in my life where I say, I surrender, or whatever you want. Thy will be done and not mine. And so, so this idea about promoting ourselves, and then he says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake 
the same shall save it. And so we're, we're pretty well painting the negative side of all this, but listen, when we get to the end here, I think you'll see that there's a tremendous blessing to us individually when we die to self. Look over in Romans chapter 12. I don't know how many messages could be preached on Romans chapter 12. And I don't know how many times we avoid it. (laughs) Because it's pretty specific. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed and renew your mind, that ye may prove or test or what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Remember that Paul said, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And he warns us of thinking too highly of ourselves. You know, the Pike Road Baptist Church just wouldn't survive without me. That they can't do without me. That my job can't do without me. Well, uh, last time I checked, the earth still revolves around the sun, and it's not revolving around me. And so this idea of self-esteem is uh, contrary to the word of God. Look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Excuse me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by grace, by, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly that they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so Paul realized that there's kind of both sides here in this passage. Paul realized that he was only what he was by the grace of God, that God saved him, that God graces enabled him. But in having God's grace, he said there in that passage that he labored more abundantly, that, that, that because God had given him gifts and God has enabled him, that he was going to take the ability that he found in Christ Jesus and do all that he could with it. The Bible, numerous times in in Proverbs, tells us um, and warns us against pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Better is he to whom the humble spirit with the lowly than to than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 25 says, It's not good to eat much honey, so for them, so for men to search their own glory 
is not glory. Um, yeah, I, w- I won't get into football and scoring touchdowns here. Uh, Proverbs 26, 12. Sis thou a man wise in his own conceit, there's more hope of a fool than of him. Galatians says, for if a man think of himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Look over in uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, that you would realize that you're something, that you have a good, healthy self-esteem. Well, I don't think that's what it's saying. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, I mean, he's his very person, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't have to seize or hang on to the fact that he was in equality with God, that he's part of the Godhead. Here, here Christ is very God upon the earth, equal with God made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. No place there for self-esteem, none. And so, uh, why are we uh, so concerned about promotion of self-esteem? Because, as I said, this thinking has crept into our churches. Number one, it's going to, why should we be concerned? Well, it's going to affect how we deal with people in evangelism. While Schuller says the core of sin is a negative self-image, the Bible tells us that pride entered into the garden and the fall of man came about from it. And so until, you know, we always say, until we can, a man can see himself as a sinner, he's not ready to be saved. And that's absolutely true. Until a man understands that He's fallen far short of the glory of God. That the standard is not my comparing myself with you. Because those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. We have to understand what the standard is. What's the standard? Well, it's the holiness of of God is his is Christ imputed righteousness unto us 
So it's going to affect evangelism. Uh, it's going to affect our service. We just read how that Christ, let this mind be used all in Christ Jesus, who took upon him the form of a servant. You know, sometimes in our church worship and in our church service, uh, sometimes the work involves taking out the dirty diapers that's in the bucket from the nursery. Sometimes it requires mopping up the little yellow stains at the foot of the toilet where little boys have been. But much more than that, sometimes it requires me to die to self. And so, you know, if you have this idea that I am somebody, then it's going to affect our service. I've never responded well, both in relationship to spiritual things and also to worldly things. I've never responded well when a man come across to me or a person comes across to me with this idea that you better shut up and listen because I'm greater than you are. Well, you may know more than me, <laughs> but we'll go out behind the woodshed here and we'll find out who's 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 who. But when a person comes to me and pleads with me from the word of God and from his heart, then it touches me. It touches my heart. And I'm just simply saying to you that, yes, we ought to be holy. But our holiness should not demean others. Because without the grace of God, you're living right you would be living right where they're living. And it's by the grace of God that we are what we are. And our boast can only be in the Lord. And so if we don't watch it, this can affect our evangelism, but it can also affect our pride. It's philosophy that's creeping into Christian bookstores. It's philosophy that's creeping in through the hymns that we sing. And it might be interesting to go to a Sunday school class and ask the class, should a Christian love himself? The answer might be very different from Christians of long ago. Job said this, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ezra, thinking about himself and his people, said, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blessed to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses is grown up into the heavens. 
I'm, um, I'm still proud to be an American, maybe not as proud as I used to be. But uh, maybe we should blush at, at times over our nation's sin. Back in the early 1700s, mid-1700s, mid there was a man by the name of David Brainerd who was a missionary to the American Indians, and he died very, very young. He wrote in his diary in November of 1742, he said, I had a still, I had still a sense of my great vileness and endeavored as much as I could to keep alone. Oh, what a nothing, what dust and ashes I am. And then on January in the next year, he says, I scarce ever felt myself so unfit to exist as now. I saw I was not worthy of a place among the Indians where I'm going. If God permits, though I should be ashamed to look them in the face, and much more to have any respect shown me from men, I appear to myself a creature fit for nothing, neither heaven or earth. Yet in the preface of the book about his life, Jonathan Edwards says that the years of Brainerd were the most successful of his life in, in this 1940s and his mission work among the Indians. And Jonathan Edwards says that David Brainerd's life was most, most worthy of imitation. I want you to uh, turn, what is that uh, songbook, what is that where it says the last what is it? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? What's the name of that song? At the cross? Oh, there it is, 159. Look at the verse, first verse of hymn 159 from Isaac Watts. At last, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Do you know that Isaac Watts never wrote that line? What Isaac Watts wrote was this. At last, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I'm telling you, the self-esteem is creeping in to churches. And until a man sees himself as God sees him, 
He'll be of no worth. But realize this. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I'm a child of the King. Because of Jesus, I'm an heir and joint heir with Christ. Because of Jesus, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Look over in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I saw in the right hand, what's it, what appears here is this, the seal, or the, I mean the book, the scroll. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and, within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And actually, to try to kind of break it down, this book kind of represents the title deed of all creation. Who, who is worthy to claim it? Who is worthy to open it? And with an angel with a very strong voice, a loud voice, seemingly being able to go across the world. And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And so as the angel sent out the invitation who is worthy to come and open the book, no one was able to claim this title deed. And John wept much. He understood the hopelessness. He understood the despair. No one could claim the book because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb that he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And he sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And has made us to and made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And beheld, and I heard a voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them were ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. <laughs> I preached on this when I was like twenty-three years old in Mexico, and the and the man that was translating, I said. Uh, you know, 10,000 times 10,000, and, and, uh, and I said, and that means millions of millions. And he said, that's what it says in the Spanish, go on. <laughs> and, but, but he's simply saying here that 
they recognize who he is, saying with a loud voice, millions upon millions of people, saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that is set upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And I say to you this morning, instead of being concerned about your self-esteem, we ought to say amen with the beast here and fall down and worship him. And that my worth is found in my relationship with my Savior. And so let's not get caught up in this. Let's not, you know, it's promoted on every side. It's promoted everywhere. You got to feel good about yourself. You got to feel good about yourself. But the Bible's pretty plain. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we ought to feel bad about ourselves in order to feel good about ourselves. <laughs> My worth is found in the Lord. Hopefully, that's a help to you because I'm telling you, this is a battle that we're losing. Even with the example. We got to get rid of that worm out of that song. But you know what? When you go to Psalms 22, our Savior was willing to say, I'm a worm. And there's nobody here this morning that's greater than our Savior. All right? You're all quiet out there. You're dismissed.